it's this funny perfectionism. There's that word, right? Where we're measuring ourselves against an absolutely unattainable goal and then lacerating ourselves when we fail to live up to that goal. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. I am Dan Putt. I wrote at least 10 introductions of this podcast. I wrote one about bowling, one about my marriage, uh, several about entrepreneurial endeavors, and none of them worked. And the deeper I got into the process, the harder I beat myself up. How could I not have something by now? How could I not have something perfect that would connect you to the conversation and help me feel good as well? What is wrong with me? As it turns out, that experience, though painful, is actually really important to share. Self-criticism is probably one of my favorite tools. Time and time again, I've relied on it to get me outside of my comfort zone, to improve my health, work on my relationships, and try and build new and great things. I've even relied on it to push me to do better introductions for this podcast. And the process is pretty simple. I set out to achieve some kind of hard to attain or perhaps unattainable goal. And then my old buddy shows up and criticizes me for not reaching it. The self-critical voice is not only there to encourage me to get up off the mat when I get knocked to the ground, but it's also there sometimes to do the knocking. But is that the only way? A few months ago, I resumed a regular committed meditation practice. And in the process of returning to this practice, I learned a really important and powerful phrase. Simply begin again. Your mind wandering a bit? Find your breath and begin again. I've carried it into my life as well. For example, feeling a bit distant from your loving wife because you both are very busy caring for your two kids under three. Find each other and begin again. Screw up 10 versions of a podcast intro. Take a breath and begin again. I find self-acceptance, self-love, and great appreciation for all that makes me human. A human that makes mistakes when I find the way to begin again. I've often asked myself, and I've had many clients ask me this, what happens to my drive if I don't constantly have that critical voice? It turns out, at least for me, you can still get up off the mat and begin again. Perhaps self-love and acceptance is the sustaining source of our resiliency, not the critical voice. As we chase our sense of perfectionism and measure ourselves against big goals, how do we counteract the sense of self-loathing we can impinge upon ourselves when we fall short of the images we're upholding? In this conversation, Jerry sits down with Sharon Salzberg to talk about her new book, Real Love, The Art of Mindful Connection. They discuss the ways in which love might be a counterintuitive antidote to the ups and downs of entrepreneurship and life. We learn that as we cultivate a sense of love and compassion for ourselves in our ambitious pursuits and adventures in life, we bolster our resiliency to face life as it is. Enjoy. My name is Tracy Lawrence, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Choose. I think that there is no better way to spend your money 
if you want to enhance your leadership. And I mean, really not just enhance and change your leadership, but just to transform your life. You know, one of the things I've come away from boot camp with is thinking about how can I approach my business with curiosity as opposed to stress and grief and anxiety. And even to make that single, what seems a very simple transformational leap was not possible to me before boot camp. And so boot camp was just crucial to doing that. It changed my life, not just my business. When was the last time you invested in yourself? Join us this November 9th through 12th at the Reboot Retreat Center in Boulder, Colorado for our women's boot camp. Learn more and apply at reboot.io slash women. Hey, Sharon, it's, uh, it's really great to see you again. I, you know, every time I open up Skype and there's your beautiful, loving, caring face, it just, it alters the shift of my day. So thank you for coming on the show today. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. It's great to see you. And, and so I feel really fortunate because you know, part of our goal today is to really talk through uh, your latest book, um, which will be coming out shortly, and it's called Real Love. And what's the full title? It's uh, Real Love, The Art of Mindful Connection. And I've been fortunate enough to get uh, previews of the book as we go along. And now I'm, I'm seeing it in its last stages of coming together. And I feel like, uh, I feel like a, a bit of a, one of a number of midwives watching this book get born. So you definitely have been, uh, you've been like my doula. Oh, <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs> Without going too much into the book, I thought we might start by me sharing with you a story of something that actually happened to me yesterday, um, working with a client and really using that as a reaction, you know, and asking to just sort of think about uh, this story and, and react, you know, uh, in the context of the content of the book. Mm-hmm. So uh, yesterday I had, a, I had a client come visit me here in Boulder. And it's someone that I've not worked with for several months, um, but I had worked with for a few years and we have a, a really sweet and caring relationship. And he is a quite accomplished person, um, a former active investor who a few years ago turned uh, to being a, um, a CEO and launching a business again and really wanting to launch the business, uh, not necessarily to generate a whole bunch of money but to sort of uh, look at some core questions he had about himself. Plus, he sees a tremendous opportunity in the market. And a few weeks back, he reached out to me because uh, the company is um, is being sold in investing parlance. It's, uh, it's not crashing, but it's coming in for a soft landing. Okay. Uh, it is not necessarily a massive success but it's not a flaming failure. But from this person's perspective, it was just, it's been a a really a a journey. So yesterday we went for a walk and we just started talking and it was clear that uh, as I thought it would be, that this experience would be really emotionally challenging for him. 
he lives in that rarefied Silicon Valley world where it feels like everybody is uh, successful. Everybody's a billionaire. Everybody's about to be a billionaire. Everybody is, you know, uh, where billionaire is a yardstick for self-worth. And uh, he always saw himself as a member of that club. And even though he's had enormous successes, in fact, I think he had, you know, 80% return on investment. 80% of his investments have done well. This one quote unquote failure was really tough. And so here we are, we're walking down the street and it's a beautiful day and he's, he's taking in the beauty that's bolder, but he's so distracted by what's going on. And I said, so, so what did you learn after three years? And in essence, what he said was, I learned that it's really, really hard. (laughs) (laughs) And I learned that I could do everything right. Right. He created a lot of buzz for the business. He got, he raised a lot of money. He hired a tremendously talented group of people. He gave them a clear sense of purpose and vision. And it still didn't work. And as I walked, we stopped at the corner and I turned to him and I said, so what's the story you're telling yourself about yourself? And he started to cry and he said that I'm worthless. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what struck me is um, in your book, you talk about this notion of perfectionism, you know, something that many of us can relate to. And I think having told you the story for the first time just now, mm-hmm. do you see the point that I'm the connection here? What's your reaction to this? I have many reactions to it, including a kind of meta META reaction, which is that, uh, it's kind of an interesting story to tell someone whose book is just about to come out (laughs) (laughs) because you can do everything right and pour your heart into it and learn a craft to the best of your ability. And there are just so many factors in this interconnected universe. That's the truth of things. And it's not a very palatable truth sometimes, you know, because we'd like to be in control. We'd like to feel, if I'd only done this one other thing, it would all unfold exactly as, as I see it. And, it's just not so. Life is so complex and interwoven. and But that's not easy. I mean, it's easy to say, but right. it's not easy to live by. And so that's even one level of what came up in my mind. Of course, you were you know, extremely skilled. What is the story we tell ourselves? Uh, because we're, we take responsibility and we're taught to take responsibility in places we could never be in control. And so uh, how lovely when it works out, you know, and in that way and how important it is to act with integrity and pour our hearts into things and try to do all the right things. And, and if we could only do that with with also admitting what we don't know and what we can't control, and then we'd be a whole lot happier. We'd be, uh, you know, not delighted that it didn't soar, you know, whatever it is, but, um, we feel whole, you know, we don't feel so uh, 
terrible and awful about ourselves and humiliated by something that Somebody told me a story once about somebody whose dream, dream was to be a famous author. And her book came out on September 11th, 2001. Oh, nice. She was on TV, and they just as far as saying her name when the planes hit the towers. Mm. And, of course, nobody ever heard of her again. You know, nobody was reading, and everyone was consumed and over-grieving and going through everything we went through and, and traumatized. And, and you just think about that. So close, you know, and the world wasn't going to have that happen. And that's different than, you know, when we um, look back and we feel I didn't do everything I could do and I really coasted, and, you know, I phoned it in or there was that time I was so reckless or, or whatever it is. That's a very different thing. Yeah. And, and I, I noticed one of your first reactions was a kind of empathetic reaction, which yeah. was to, to, to connect to your own experience in there. Yeah. Um, tell me, tell me about that. Cause I think that that was powerful. I'm trying to imagine the world say of entrepreneurship where people feel they always get what they want. Cause how can that be? We always, always get what we want. Mm-hmm. For one thing, we have bodies, you know, and mm-hmm. we die and everything's changing. And mm-hmm. it's just like the kind of gritty reality of, of life. And uh, I would bet, you know, that if somebody wasn't 100% fixated on what they can do and what they can produce and what they can uh, kind of create, it's got to be just life, right? It's the less than a happy marriage maybe or the child who's troubled or the brother who mm. you know never forgave us or whatever it is you know it's just life and yeah uh you know maybe in certain circles we're taught not to look at the scope the broader scope of life it's too destructive to the image we're upholding but you also reminded me of when you said that um there's a story in the book about Someone told me she thought her divorce came about when her husband's second parent died. He began telling the story of his childhood, and it was idyllic and beautiful and mm-hmm. perfect. And and she said she was the only one who could remind him, wait a minute, you know, your parents were alcoholics. You had to put them to bed every night. You had to quit school. Mm-hmm. You had to go to college to go home and, like, you know, get them off the couch and wasn't so perfect and and she was the only one who knew the actual story so mm. you know he left her behind because it was like because he couldn't he couldn't bear that experience yeah you you asked the question about um being with entrepreneurs in that in that environment and it reminded me of of this other experience that this client and i had yesterday and we were talking about the reality you know going back to your story here and the reality is that Something akin to, I, th- I, I heard the statistic the other day, 89% of uh, what are called venture-backed startups, startups that raise money from outside, either return capital or lose money and, and, and close, which means by this definition, they're failures, mm-hmm. 89%. And even though that reality sinks in, we stood in the corner and we looked at each other and he laughed and he said, yeah, but I was convinced I was the exception. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Sure. 
And there's something beautiful about that optimism, right? But there's a negative dark side to that optimism, which is if, if the reality of having done everything right and it's still failing hits and I, and the reality is I'm not the exception I think I am, then it's like in a nanosecond, the mind goes to, so therefore there's something wrong with me. That's self-criticism. Do you see that? Oh, yeah. It's like if we could love ourselves anyway, not to say we don't have lessons to learn or that we were perfect, you know, but if we just love ourselves anyway. And especially because you said it didn't flame out, you know, it, it, it didn't. And everybody's going to end up with a job. And but it's just not the you know, in, in, in the modern parlance, it's not the next Facebook. It's not the next Uber. It's not the next, you know, multi-billion dollar Yeti, 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 blah. You know, this kind of false reality thing. Yeah. It's like this, it's this funny perfectionism. There's that word, right? Where we're measuring ourselves against an absolutely unattainable goal and then lacerating ourselves when we fail to live up to that goal. Seems like a rigged game. Let's change that game. <laughs> <laughs> a total rigged game. And and so so what does this have to do with real love? Ah, in reading the book and watching the book get born and really working with you for as long as we've worked together now, and I'm so fortunate for that, it seems to me that the answer, the antidote, if you will, is love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which may in fact be counterintuitive. It's like, you know, I know that there are people out there who are saying, well, there's nothing wrong with striving for the unattainable goal. And we often will, I think, use that ambition to really accomplish amazing things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, an unattainable goal would be to free the world of poverty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because it's unattainable, do we not try? Yeah. Yeah. Of course we try. But how do we hold the pursuit of the unattainable, unimaginable goal without self-criticism and self-laceration and uh, and all of the negative side of that. Well, I mean, I think, you know, uh, well, first is probably a big difference between self-criticism and self-laceration. I think you're using them. Self-criticism is not a kind of balanced, uh, mm. assessment, you know, but that kind of vicious yeah. punishment we do get into, which is so terrible. Um, well, I think part of the confusion is the equation of love with laziness. You know, that if I really love myself, I'd, I wouldn't have those kind of goals or even I don't think there's anything wrong with a personal goal. Like, yes, I would like a massive bestseller. Thank you. I yes. think it would change my life. It would help the world. You know, yeah. uh, that is extremely unlikely, perhaps. But I'm I would love that, you know, and I'd be very, very happy to work for that. But in the event that the winds of change, you know, are such that uh, it's not exactly that. I mean, I've had um 
probably my least commercially successful book was this book Faith that I wrote. And it was a very personal story. It was my own faith journey. It was extremely painful and difficult to write. It took me a long time and I really poured my heart in there. And I would say it's not, I mean, you, you can't even call it a commercial success. If you really stretched, you know. <laughs> and yet, second only to this book, it's my favorite Sharon Salzberg Thank book. Very much. And I can't tell you how many people come up to me and say, I had a childhood just like yours. I'm so glad you wrote that book. Yeah. You know, that book came to me in the most difficult, darkest time in my life. And it helped me so much. And if even one person came up to us and said that, wouldn't that be, you know, a tremendous thing? You know, we, we live in a world of metrics and measurement and comparison. and But really, what do we need? If we felt reasonably whole anyway, going into it, of course, I'd be disappointed if, you know, nobody bought my book. But how incredible to have that one person come up and say, you really changed my life. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I remember that the first time we met, which was very brief encounter, I probably reminded you uh, uh, this before. There was an event for His Holiness Karmapa in New York, and you oh, were yeah. one of the one of the uh, Buddhist literati in the room. And I just shook your hand and I and I said thank you to you. And you know, I was one of a number of people, and it was a beautiful encounter, but it was very brief. And then, of course, a couple of years later, we had dinner and we met really for the first time. And I said to you through tears in my eyes, how important faith that book was to me. Now, to be clear, real love has come to me in a moment in my life where I really needed this. So thank you yet again for doing that. But I, what I hear in your analysis is really a, is going at the description of or, or, or the definition of this word success. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what does it mean to, to be? And what I heard was the, 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 the two coins, the two sides of this, there's a cognitive awareness that you have around faith, not being the bestseller, not even amongst the pantheon of Sharon's books. Right. Right. And yet the, the, a book in which a number of people occasionally come up to you and say, this book was was medicine. Yeah, yeah. At this moment in my life. Yeah. I mean, I sort of wanted to take it to that level because solving world poverty, I mean, everyone can get behind, you know, and, and yeah. say, yes, of course, we pour energy into it. And if we come up a little short or very short, at least we have done some good. Wanting personal success and, I don't know, uh, whatever, ambition, you know, to be ambitious in, in that way still can be okay, but I think it all depends on the how, you know, what's what's our complete motivation, what's the toll, what are we willing to compromise, what are we willing to sacrifice, are we even looking at that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and, and how much, I keep coming back to this word homeless, you know, the sense of being intact, having, having something going on inside, having inner resource, how much of that can we take with us into the journey, because the more of that we have, the more we can weather the ups and downs in a, a different way. You know, I get two humiliating statements a year from my literary agent about faith, about basically how much money. It's always got a minus sign on it. 
you know, like basically how much money the publisher has lost in my advance, you know, and it's not really making a difference. The years go by, you know, but now it's funny. You know, the first couple of times it was like, ah, I disappointed people. They wanted more from me. I thought, but it was like, I could not have written that in a different way. And every time I meet somebody like you, you know, I mean, you started crying at dinner and I started crying at dinner. I remember. started crying. Uh, it's so beautiful. And mm. um, so what is success in, in that way? Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to your book now and, and I'm going to read to you a couple of the things that are, you know, the suggested takeaways that you have. And you wrote, Perfectionism is an unproductive use of attention. Self-hatred will not make us better. Acceptance is what allows us to realize that all experiences are the opportunities to learn and grow. Through loving kindness for ourselves, we can learn to accept and love our imperfect selves. That feels like this beautiful little arc, those three statements. You know, can you say more about those? Well, you know, I think I think the common idea is that love for oneself is like narcissism or laziness. It's it's just self promotion or self preoccupation. That um, that kind of harsh, punitive environment that we create or recreate within because it's what we're used to is the way to get ahead to get something done. And what I'm told anyway um, about research is that, uh, you know, there, there isn't so much research as of yet specifically around self-passion, which is the, the kind of Western psychological term. Um, the, you know, there is research around performance of all kinds, and that uh, kind of a high-stress environment will spike our performance, but briefly, and then we crash. And that there's some other way of having a sustained effort toward making making change, making progress, um, getting ahead, making it happen. Uh, and you can call that self-compassion. We think that's, a, you know, that's like a weakling state. But, you know, that, and people have said that to me many times, like, ah, eh, you know, I don't buy that. Like, if I were to forgive myself, in effect, when I made a mistake and go on, then I would just get so lazy. I'd sort of make another mistake in a minute. I'd say, it doesn't matter. I'll forgive myself again. But I mean, what do we think resilience is, right? Like we need resilience. We need to always be tacking and, you know, adjusting and starting over and starting over and starting over. I just wrote down, I said, you know, uh, that sustained effort equals resiliency. Right. It's and 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 it's you know we often talk about resiliency at reboot. Um, life throat comes at you hard, and in unexpected ways, and the ability to self-regulate and self-soothe, and come back to center. You know, you 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 get that email that just triggers you and sends you into the state. Can you then come back? You find out a fact. Um, that is just antithetical to what you expected or what is supposed to be the way things are supposed to be. And, and you, you, you lose the ground and that capacity to come back. And I think what I hear you saying is that 
real love, which is in essence a loving for self and that kind of sympathetic, empathetic connection to the other, implicit in compassion, feeds resiliency, feeds the ability to then get back up when you've been knocked down. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And uh, thank you for saying it so cogently. <laughs> I think. Uh, well, I read this really good book. <laughs> I, um, I, you know, I think that's what resiliency is made of. It's like, you know, it, it, that kind of flexibility, that ability to start over. I taught the other day somewhere, somebody showed me her tattoo, which she got made after I, I taught a identical workshop basically a year ago. Uh, and the tattoo said, begin again, mm. you know, mm. based on, as you know, the thing I say mm. often, like, you know, you are meditating, you want to settle your attention on some object, goes a million miles, another direction, you realize it, see if you can let go and begin again. Or you've got a task, you get distracted, you get overwhelmed, um, you feel defeated, you know what, take a breath, see if you can begin again. Or you fall down and someone has to help you up and you have to let them help or or you have to get yourself up and you have to begin again i think that's the it's the rhythm of life that's how we actually live day every day and that's how we get something done yeah what comes to mind is a, a blog post i wrote years and years ago even before reboot and before coach my coaching practice had really taken off it was called what i learned from eating oreos and uh, uh, what I had learned uh, was it was a, a couple of things. One, and I was working with a nutritionist at the time to really sort of get a better sense of my own eating habits and my own nutrition. And the two things I learned, the first thing I learned was um, I have this incredible craving for a salty sweet, the combination of the two. Mm. And I'm like a sucker when you put salt next to sugar. Right. I'm done. And Oreos are a perfect combination of salt and sugar. Right. But what had happened was I was like really tracking my food and all this stuff. And I, I just had had a really bad day. And I came in and I basically ate an entire box of Oreos. First one sleeve, then another sleeve. Remember, there's three sleeves in a box. Right. And I ate three sleeves of Oreos and I felt sick as a dog. No surprise. Right. And the next day, I was just I was just filled with recrimination, and I said to myself, going back to my childhood when I was playing stickball, and we would get into an argument, and we would call a do-over, and we made up this term, right? We all grew up with this term. It's a do-over, which basically meant we can't argue our way out of this, so we're just going to start again. And and I, what I learned was that the world has a has an infinite capacity for do-overs. If you let go of this notion that it has to be a certain way, right? And the real lesson is for me, and I, I and in reading your book, I, I just I just reconnected with the the self-compassion of giving myself infinite do-overs. That's fabulous. That's a great term. You know. do need. Well, I mean, we can have infinite do-overs, which, you know, I, I think the most superficial look at that sounds like 
we never really try, you know. We never really put our heart into something, but of course we can, and uh, all the more so because we're, we don't go down those long, long, long twisted paths of like, I am such a terrible person, and I always have been, and I always will be. And, you know, it's like we're, we are priorly defeated. Right. Before we've even, before we've even taken a step. That's right. Yeah. 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 So maybe we can close with this sort of the last section of the book in a sense, which is this notion around compassion. And we've been talking a lot about self-compassion. What, what happens? Why does it, I've seen this in my own self, right? I start my day and I'm, you know, to use reboot parlance, we talk oftentimes about being in the red, being in the yellow, being in the green. I'm in the red. I'm like totally gone. I'm in a triggered state. The world sucks. I sit down and I start working with a client and I shift into the green. What's, what's happening with that in terms of this, this re- relating to the other? Well, I think uh, one of the reasons the book, my book has the trajectory it has is because each part is, is like a contributor to all the other parts, you know? So it starts with real love, which includes and very much based on self-compassion. And so we need that and love for another, which means the ability also to listen and to simply connect, you know, no agenda. So, you, you know, I, I love that image of you with your client because I've experienced it many times in teaching. It's like, I've often said, you know, no matter what state I'm in, teaching reaches the best place in me. Mm. It's like it's there. It's, it feels inaccessible when I first wake up and I'm going through whatever I'm going through. But because I do care and because I'm sitting there not to make an impression on somebody, you know, or to be considered the world's greatest teacher, but because I really do care, I just reach that space. It's like, uh, you know, some approaches some philosophies would say practice generosity even when you don't feel very generous because the very act of being generous will return you to that place inside you where you feel you have enough Mm. you know so if you're depressed or you're despondent or you feel you've got nothing going inside to help somebody else Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. because that will return you to that place where yeah you're okay Mm -hmm. you know you have a kind of sufficiency within so it's a little bit like that you know some comes back to motivation, but I think one of the um, elements of the the third section of the book is really it's a more um, open state of compassion. You know, it's not just people we know we feel responsible for, like a client, you know, and a, um, a friend, uh, the relative stranger, even the people we don't like very much, even the people we're fighting. And we're going to continue to fight and, you know, maybe struggle against or resist. And here, too, we can still be strong. We can be even stronger, I think, but coming from a place of compassion rather than alienation and disconnection. You know, I, I, uh, I love that structure. And what it reminds me is, uh, well, there's a moment where you said it, I think, two or three times. You said the phrase, because I do care. Yeah, yeah. And uh, having been on the receiving end of your teachings, I know that to be true. I see that switch go on in, in, in you. And, and uh, 
it reminds me in your book of this notion of, if I may, I think it goes beyond just saying practice generosity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you can practice generosity and still not care. But I think that the, I, I, I think your notion of what is your truest intention becomes this basis, and because I do care, yeah, I can access the coach in me, the teacher in me, yeah, even when I am at my lowest point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm sure you can. I've seen that in you too. You know, and. What's intriguing, I think, is that I believe uh, that we can cultivate that caring in a kind of impersonal or universal way so that I think most people can understand that stretch when it is a client or a student or a friend, you know, and like you're feeling miserable. They come into the room. You think, OK, you know, they need me. But when it's somebody on the subway or you know, you may not do the same things. It's like you're not going to take them home and give them a session, maybe. But um, your heart space of inclusion, of feeling this person counts too, and may they be happy, may they find some peace. That's what's especially intriguing to me, is, mm-hmm. is that extension, you know, beyond our sense of responsibility mm-hmm. and personal connection. Because mm-hmm. I've seen that, you know, I've seen it in myself, I've seen it in many a person who's on some path of trying to understand these values and live these values Mm -hmm. that there's really a sense of, Oh, you too. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. I love that image of you because there was a, you know, we don't have the video here and we're not recording the video, but, but there was this kind of wonder and curiosity and empathy in that. Oh, you too. Oh, you too. You know, I was thinking about the, the this, this notion of because I do care. There's also, I think, a relationship to your earlier point about learning to accept and love even our imperfect selves. See, if I can learn to love and accept even my imperfect self and drop the need for perfection, stay connected because I do care, then in a sense, my resiliency and your resiliency, our shared resiliency is fed. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden the world is just a slightly easier place to exist in. Does that resonate? Oh, totally. And I think maybe that's really the birth of a very genuine kind of compassion. If you, if you're, trying to cut off your imperfect self or the parts of you that hurt, basically, that are, you know, not so satisfying and delightful. Um, you know, the ones that, the emotional states, let's say, that really do hurt or the past experiences or the, you know, whatever it is. And uh, how do you sit with someone that's going through a difficult time with any kind of tenderness or, or understanding or empathy? It's like you can't, you know, it's like, that same pattern of rejection must keep playing out. Right. You know, right. go away, you know, you should have done better. Or, yeah. You know, I told you what to do six months ago, you should have listened. Or, yeah, yeah. Or whatever it is, but that raw pain is as real for us as it is for someone else. And 
that's one place we join. So I think about your friend from yesterday, you know, that you took a walk with. And uh, I, I hate to be um, glib about these things, you know, that one suffering is a gift and all that. In fact, I think I told you, my publisher told me the his favorite line in the book was actually not for me. It was from our friend, Roshi John Halifax. <laughs> um, I quoted her where she said, she was talking about trauma, and uh, and she said um, something like, she said it more eloquently than this, but, um, you know, don't try to think of them as gifts. Think of them as givens. And I thought that was just so beautiful and deserves his accolade. My publisher is the best line in the book. Um, and, uh, you know, so I don't mean to be glib, like, oh, now you've got a gift through your suffering and you can uh, – but it is a given, and you've had an experience, and if you relate to it in a radical, radically different way than we're taught, you have the gift of that radical approach. Like, look at that, you know? I, I sat with that suffering. I paid attention to it. I didn't let it define me, you know? I opened my heart to myself, and the face of it, I cared about myself, and, you know, look at that. That's the gift. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a that's a wonderful message to to my friend, I, and I think you're right about the you know I w- I had been reaching for what did we learn from this experience which can have that quality about it of of oh look at the gift that's implicit in this and 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 I think you're right and I think that there's there's a simple beauty in this uh, I'm reminded of something that one of my children once said to me and. After uh, an experience I had in Greenland where, where I had been hurt, and they said, it wasn't the adventure you sought or the, the adventure you thought you were going to have, but it was an adventure nonetheless. Yeah. And, and there's that acceptance of what has happened and then being able to move on. Yeah. yeah. You know? I, I think that that's a very compassionate way to relate to the facts as they've unfolded. Yeah. I want to thank you for taking the time today. I think this was just a really lovely conversation. And, you know, one of the things I love to do is, is bring to the attention of the folks who follow reboot and our work resources and people that they may not think about as part of the entrepreneurial journey. (laughs) And, and not only Buddhism generally, but, your work, Sharon, in particular, I think is much more apropos than they realize at first blush. And I think that, you know, this notion of real love, real love in the workplace, real love in our lives, real love in in our heart is really powerful for people. So thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please consider leaving us a rating on iTunes. Your rating is the single most effective way for new listeners to find and enjoy the show. You can also get all Reboot podcast episodes by signing up at reboot.io slash sign up. There's a link for that in our show notes. I am Dan Putt from Reboot, and you've been listening to the Reboot Podcast. Thanks for joining. How long till my soul gets it right? Call on the resting soul
Ready for a more in-depth journey of radical self-inquiry? We've developed a new free five-day email course designed to explore and work with your shadow. Get started at reboot.io slash shadow.